Jesus is saying that prayer is about you engaging with God. So what he's critiquing is people who were praying, but the primary referent of the prayer wasn't God, was it? It was others. You're praying to show off to others. That's not the point of prayer at all. Praying to show off is about your pride, who you are, and what you're caring most about is what others think of you. Yeah? Now, I don't think today that many of us show off uh, to, you know, in front of others with reference to our prayer life. Sadly, it's because the holiness movement hasn't really touched us evangelicals very strongly in the last 20 years, which is a bad thing. But I'll tell you what you might do. You might set yourself the goal to pray, and you might go about praying to prove to yourself that you're a legit Christian and that you can pray. And really you're meeting your own goals. You're hitting off something on your checklist. And you're not really engaging with God. You're not taking God seriously as he is. That's a mistake, Jesus says. And Matthew says that's a mistake too, because think about the kind of God that Matthew is offering to us. If you'd like to go to the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew begins with a genealogy, a record of Jesus and his background. And it goes way back to Abraham and God's covenant as a way of resolving this massive problem that we have as humans, this problem of sin. God is the covenantal God, the patient God, okay, who deals with Abram so the whole world will be blessed. He's faithful to Isaac and Jacob and all their descendants. The God who leads his people out of slavery to real evil that was crushing them in Egypt for generations and generations and generations. Slavery to human masters, slavery to really powerful spiritual beings as well. And God sets them free and he takes them to a land where they can praise him and know his presence in their midst. A great God who builds up their kingdom. We have David mentioned, we have Solomon mentioned, okay? The great God who makes his name known such that under Solomon, people from other nations are coming in to find out about this great God. Who is this great God? This is the great God that wants all the nations to know him and to be reconciled to him. Really good, great, amazing God, a loving God. And then he's the God, as the rest of the genealogy tells us, who puts up with a bunch of scallywags, essentially, because the people fade away from him, don't they? And their hearts chase after other gods, other nations, other peoples, other priorities. They don't take God seriously. But God, as you know, is the one who pursues the hound, the one, the lover who is after them, who wants to bring them back to himself. The great God who acts, who brings about through his spirit the conception of Jesus so that his promises will be realized um, such that the great son of David will come about and his reign will not end and he will crush his enemies, including death. It's going to be fantastic. And God brings this about through this son. Um, and it says in 126, who will be named Jesus because he will save people from their sins. God is the one who can save us. This is the God who we pray to. This is the God that Jesus is on about. And this is the God who is present in our midst in Christ. The Son, the one who comes, is God with us. God wants to be with his people. And this Son, this agent, God himself who comes, is worshipped by the Magi as is appropriate. And he comes as the Lord. He comes as the Lord. 
and resists the devil. He is the one who can overcome the great enemy of humans, the one that destroys, the one who withers away, the one who brings disease, the one who hates us. God overcomes him and resists him. And then in Christ, God reconstitutes. He calls a new people to himself. What kind of people? They have the attitudes of the Beatitudes. Is that right, Mike? That's what Mike was telling us last week when he was teaching on the Beatitudes. Jesus teaches God's people to reflect God. What a great character God has as the merciful, loving one. And it's the same character that we're to have. We're to be poor in spirit. We're to mourn with those who mourn. We're to be meek. We're to hunger for righteousness. We're to reflect God. So the kind of God that Jesus is commending to us is a wonderful God that can bring about a wonderful people. So when you pray, why would you have other people in mind or your own pride in mind? Jesus says, take God seriously, this kind of God. It makes a lot of sense to me. And if we did, it would be wonderful. So Jesus says, but when you pray in chapter 6, 6, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees you and who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your Father knows you. And as Brian has brought out and we spoke about with our conference on being known by God, this is a huge theme in Scripture. God knows you already and He cares for you and He wants to hear from you. And guess what? He doesn't reject you even though He knows you. We spend so much of our lives with masks and facades on because we don't want to be known. But God is the one who knows and he is the one who wants us to speak to him. That's the special relationship we have with God. Why not avail yourself of this relationship in prayer? It's unique. There is no other personal being who knows you as well as God and who wants to know from you despite who you are. This is who God is. And when you pray, it says in verse 7, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. They think they will be heard because of their many words. In Jesus' time and also in places like Argentina where I grew up, there's this idea that many words and special words can manipulate God to do whatever you want. So uh, you might wear an amulet and do special patterns on the ground and offer rum and flowers and water and that kind of stuff. And then through a magical ritual, you can get a divine entity to do your willing, to curse, to heal, whatever you want. God can't be manipulated like that. God is God. This came home to uh, me kind of practically. Um, as you know, the last week of my life was being consumed by Pokemon Go. And we were... <laughs> We were traveling around a neighborhood with some other kids that turn out have kind of a Christian background. And I'm chasing uh, this Pokemon who I'm catching him, but then he's escaping from the Pokemon. And I'm like, oh, Bulbasaur's worth it. So I'm keeping on shooting at him. And this kid got really involved with what's going on in my phone. He's, he's kind of all over me. And he goes, come on, come on, in the name of Jesus. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, wow, he really wanted it to happen, yeah? And it was the name of Jesus that was going to guarantee the shot. <laughs> God isn't like that. You can't manipulate him into acting by calling on his name. It doesn't work like that. 
God is someone you need to take seriously and personally. And you don't need to babble because there's already a great relationship there. You don't need to go on with God because he knows your backstory. He knows who you are. You don't need to babble on. Last week we had Graham Cole here in town. Uh, who used to be the principal here of Ridley College. And uh, he was here to f uh, film an online course for us. And I loved getting to work with him again because I used to work for him when I lived in Chicago. And I was his research assistant for a number of years. And it was great. And during the week we had, you know, the coffee, um, which was, you know, so how are you going, you know? And I was asking him, what, what are you really trying to achieve at this new job you've got? And he's like, oh, how's your transition been and everything? Now, there's a long relationship between us because my dad was, is a friend of his. So my dad used to whinge to Graham about me when I was a teenager. So Graham's <laughs> known me for a long time. He knows my story. He knows my dispositions. Graham's wife made my wife's wedding dress. I mentored Graham's son. Graham was my PhD supervisor. I worked for him. I called him once in desperation in a snowstorm because I didn't know what to do because uh, I just arrived from Australia. So he knows me really well. So I'm very comfortable with Graham. So when we had our coffee together, I knew that he knew me. He takes me seriously. I can be very open with him. And because of our long backstory, there's a lot of trust. Praying to God is like that. You're not just babbling words to make something happen and bring about events in history. You're talking to someone who knows you and he knows your backstory, you know his backstory, you know he's trustworthy. So the kind of engagement you can have with him is richly personal, isn't it? It's intense and it's very, very deep. He knows you and there's no mucking around, which is so refreshing. So refreshing, guys, to have that kind of relationship with someone. Well, so then you can see the liberating power of verse 8. Do not be like them, the babblers, <coughs> for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This isn't don't pray because God already knows. He's got your shopping list. It's not that. It's you don't need to babble, so you're freed up to pray. That's what Luther says. You're freed to pray because he knows already what you need. So go for it. Just go for it. So do it in this pattern. And that's what Jesus says here. So when you pray, do it in this pattern. Our Father in heaven. It begins with our Father in heaven. It's entirely consistent with what's been said before. Jesus is, God is the maximally best ever form of fatherhood. That's what God is like. Some of you have had great parents. Uh, some of you might know the Aisham family. One of their sons became a Christian because of the dad he had. He's like, if God is anything and caring and loving like my dad, I want to be a Christian. Some of us have had great dads. Some have had kind of average Aussie dads. Fair enough, there's a lot of average Aussies. I'm one of them. And some have had really bad dads. I'm really sorry about that. The thing is, though, that God is father in the best way that fatherhood can be instantiated. So he is the one to approach for love, for care, for security, go to him. Don't go elsewhere. That's, that's the big message. If you take God seriously and you know who he is, you can go for it because he is your father in heaven. That's who he is. I hope that you know him that way. Um, this is the kind of knowledge of God that is very personal and it's a knowledge by acquaintance. It's not knowledge that... But it's knowledge about and knowledge by 
It's knowledge by acquaintance. And this takes years to get to know God like this. And I hope that you have surrounded yourself with people and you allow this relationship time and you allow this relationship the resources, music, scripture reading and so forth, that will fund this kind of knowledge. Because your knowledge of God as your father, this knowledge of acquaintance is very important to being a Christian and to continue as a Christian through life's ups and downs. It's critical that you know God as Father. I remember last year, uh, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, Brian, but um, Brian said one of his goals was to lean into his friendships. Is that right, Brian? Yep. And I loved, I loved that, that he, he was saying, I want to keep my friendships uh, refreshed and going and stuff, but, but the image was leaning into friendship. I, I thought that was, that was a lovely uh, kind of model. You know, we lean into hugs, we lean into cuddles, leaning into friendship. And I think prayer is a kind of a leaning into this God that you know very, very personally through acquaintance. It's a leaning into the one you take seriously. It's a leaning in. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed to be glorified be your name. And to be glorified means that others might recognize your weightiness your importance, your significance. Well, yeah, of course. But this is the natural consequence of if he is the great father in heaven and if he is the God that Matthew has spoken about in the first six chapters, yeah, may people know your importance, your significance, your weightiness, the impact that you have and who you are. Of course, if you're like that, of course I want people to know how awesome you are because that is the best thing for them. May people know who you are because I know you, I know that you're awesome. Out of that personal knowledge, out of that investment in this relationship, this leaning in to prayer, comes a great desire for mission and evangelism that others might know God. And imagine if they know God and... His kingdom comes. That is, the greatness of God and His will are unimpeded by people and by Satan. Imagine that. He is so amazing, I want others to know Him. Wow, what I really, really desire then is that His will be known here on earth and in heaven. That is, it's unimpeded and unresisted by others. Imagine the kind of world that would be brought about. That's the new heavens and the new earth. And that's what we're praying for. We should be praying that God renew people and renew this world so that his will is not resisted. Why? Because he's the God of life. He is the one who resists the culture of death that us fallen images have created. He's the God of life. May his life and his will bring about life and color and beauty and truth and good in this world. But we're also praying that the new world might begin. We're praying for the end of this kind of world, a world that is upside down. We're praying for the right side up kind of world, as N.T. Wright would say. And of course we're praying these things. These are all consistent things. And again here in verse 11, we come to God asking for our most basic needs. Some commenters have said, commentators have said, Jesus is too practical not to include this in the prayer. You know, Jesus is someone who knows what it is to be a human being, to suffer, to struggle through the everyday. He knows what it's like for us. And so, of course, 
we're praying for our daily bread to a God who isn't mean. Remember the parables Jesus says we contrast human parents and our great divine parent. God isn't mean like us. Pray and ask him to provide for your daily bread. And Luther says, you know, this relates to praying to good weather for farming, praying that you might make it, praying for health, praying for the whole breadth of our lives. Think about it. If you're leaning into God in prayer and you're taking him seriously, of course you're going to lay your whole life before him. Yeah. It's part of acknowledging his worship in everything we do. And then it kind of gets heavy because it hasn't been heavy yet. We get to verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now we all know from the Beatitudes that God is wanting to bring about a certain kind of people, certain kind of habits and virtues in us. People that strive after unity, after peace, after righteousness and so forth. When you read that list you very quickly become sick of who you are and very quickly you want to become more like God, more like God's kind of people. So naturally, we're confessing that we're not pure in heart. We're not merciful, actually. Not at all. So Lord God, please forgive me. This is a natural part of engaging deeply with God. it, It just flows from a life with God, this acknowledgement. Father, please forgive me. I'm not a peacemaker. But Lord, please help me to forgive those who have sinned against me. Because it's often that bitterness, I think, when we hold on to and we, we add to our book of grudges. Have you got a book of grudges? I do. i got a book of grudges. Not really. But in my head I do. I have names of people that have burnt me in the past. You know, I've got to get the white out and wipe that all out because my sins have been wiped away too I have to be kind and merciful and patient in the way that God has been with me with others that is what a fitting life looks like if your life is going to be fitting and appropriate to leaning into God taking him seriously in prayer then your life needs to be fitting with that And you need to be someone who forgives, which is really, really hard, and you've got to let it go, and it requires work. One of the things I love about the church where I go, St. Alfred's in Blackburn, is that after each service, they have a prayer time. And I avail myself of that prayer time, and that is one of those times where I pray through letting go of people who have burnt me. And it's so liberating, and it's a healing work that the Spirit does. And it must be done. It's like an athlete that never really deals with all the niggling injuries. Eventually, they catch up with you. You have to have every injury and wound massaged out of you. And it's the same with us as disciples and grudges that we bear against other people. You need every knot and wound massaged, healed, so that you can keep on going and run the race till the very end. And finally... As we continue to recognize who we are, we pray that God leads us not into temptation, but that he protects us from our real enemy. We all have weaknesses. And in our everyday lives, we take them into account. I'm the only guy in my team that wears a back plate because I've got a broken bone and a blown disc in my back. It's one of the reasons I play defense because I'll never have anyone behind me. 
But all it would take is someone to hit me really, really hard in the back and I'm done. I know that's my weakness for lacrosse, okay? So I do something about it, I have a back plate. But I have other weaknesses in the rest of my life that some people know about and some don't. And I need to do things about those weaknesses. I need to protect myself, insulate myself and stay away from those things that will wreck me. Because as Mike told us the other day, adultery, for example, can wreck you real good and will wreck everything around you. So know your weaknesses. Know that you have an enemy who's actually out to get you. And that's rough. Because you need to be mindful and watching and being careful for what's going on. You've got to stay woke, as they say. Stay awake and be mindful. I'm so thankful to God that when he gives us a pattern to pray, he gives us a reminder to be on the lookout. That's part of his love, isn't it? I love you, man, and that's why I want you to be careful. Okay? That, that's what God is saying. And that needs to be part of the prayer relationship. Aren't you grateful for a prayer like this? I am. I'm grateful for a prayer like this. And we're going to end with a song as the band comes up. What a friend we have in Jesus. Because I'm grateful for a prayer like this. And I'm grateful for Jesus who is my friend. I'm grateful for the God that we worship. And this kind of prayer comes about from taking this great God seriously. Let's stand together. We're going to sing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Thanks.